0: Why he decided to study music when his whole family was doctors and lawyers, the importance of defining excellence for yourself, how sometimes you should do what your parents do and not do what your parents say, how you can stop caring what others think about you, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number two, four, one, with musician, entrepreneur, and author, the one and only Marcus Johnson. Hey everyone, welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm here because you want to become the best version of yourself, but there are so many things that you need to do in order to get there. Because it's overwhelmingly complicated, it's easy to lose focus, easy to lose a sense of direction, and that's why so many people fall short of their true potential. That's why I create videos, podcasts, and fitness programs to keep you on track to your best you. Go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. Today I'm pumped to bring you the one and only Marcus Johnson. To be in flow, or to be for the love of, we need to live our lives for the love of thyself, for the love of relationships, for the love of our health, and so much more that Marcus talks about in his brand new book that's called For the Love of, Living the Journey of Life with Intention, Love, Passion, and Happiness. I'm really excited for y'all to hear about why he decided to study music when his whole family ended up being, becoming doctors and lawyers. And my favorite story is when he talked about how he was able to get into Georgetown Law School. You won't want to miss it. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at carrier underscore best you and follow Marcus at Marcus Johnson 360. And you can find his book and website info at the show notes at nickcarrier.com slash podcast. Monday mornings can be the bane of your existence. It can seem impossible to get motivated on a Monday morning, but not if you receive my Monday motivation trio one, one, one newsletter. Every single Monday, I send out one motivational quote, one inspiring video and one badass workout to get your week started off with a bang. All you got to do is right now go to nickcarrier.com slash 111 dash newsletter. Like literally stop right now, nickcarrier.com slash 111 dash newsletter to get this in your inbox every Monday morning. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with the one and only Marcus Johnson. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super pumped up today to have the one and only Marcus Johnson with me today. Uh, Marcus, I just want to start by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. It's
1: good. it's great to be here, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to sit and rap with you.
0: Of course. Well, I'm uh, really looking forward to it. I just actually finished your book this morning, uh, For the Love Of, and it was it was awesome, so inspiring. Love some of the stories that you have in there. And, and love kind of like the uniqueness of the title and, and how you essentially kind of like Name things that you're like grateful for. I guess is kind of like the the title of every single chapter. But uh, but anyway, to kind of go back and introduce you a little bit further, uh, Marcus Johnson is an NAACP Image Award nominated musician and author of the book that I just talked about, For the Love of Living: The Journey of Life with Intention, Love, Passion. And happiness. You're also an entrepreneur, and you have your own wine brand called Flow Wine, uh, which has made USA Today's top 10 best celebrity wines list. Um, so I'm pumped to get into stuff with the book and and your entrepreneurial journey and, and different things like that. But kind of the way that I want to start today is, you've done a lot of different things, right? And I know that's kind of a, a, a lot of your a lot of your story, but you have three uh, three sisters and a brother and their doctors and lawyers and, and you kind of talk a lot about how you want to chase your dream. you want to define excellence for yourself and that's something that I, that I really stress a lot as well and, and people here have heard me talk a lot about defining success for yourself and not chasing down as you say like society's definition of success. And so when you were when you were deciding to go to college you decided to study music at, at Howard University. and so I kind of want you to talk about like why, you were going to go study music when everybody else in your family is kind of doing other stuff?
1: You know, it's really interesting because um, at first, uh, before I got to Howard, I was at the University of Miami, and I was studying music engineering and technology. And that was my hedge. You know, I had to get into, I had to play jazz piano to get into that program. And I loved music, and I knew that I wanted to play music. But Coming from the family that I did, I thought the engineering component would help as uh, you know, a hedge to have more, not just being a musician. And again, that is not in a pejorative way. That's not saying like, you know, if all you do is play music, that there's something wrong with it. It's just the way I was brought up. But even in my family, not really knowing what a music engineer did, you were like, what, you're going to play with buttons and things all day? Well, no, music engineers actually create the sound consoles and they're behind things like this speaker system that you know is in my mac and my jbl bluetooth and you know those kind of things but i was taught to be an individual from a young age nick and um it's very imperative that we do follow ourselves and i had plenty of arguments uh with my mom plenty of arguments with my father about who i was where i was going i had arguments with professors and um even people, you know, at my high school about what I was going to do because I had great grades. I was in honors programs and everything. Why don't you go, you know, open studies and, you know, pre-law? It's like, that's not what I wanted to And I think a lot of parents do the world a disservice and even their family lineage a disservice by not allowing their kids to change the world with the talents that God has given to them. And um, it's great to be able to speak from that perspective with standing now to say, yeah, I have the law degree. Yeah, I have the MBA. And you still should allow your kids to pursue music in undergrad because this is who they are and who's to say they don't change the world with notes that they play or with something that they draw. Um, It's just an important uh, concept. And uh, it always has been. I was weird when I was younger, you know, (laughs) disconnected. I wanted to sit at the adult's table, Nick, and um, I was voted uh, not, you know, sexiest guy. Uh, Although I played sports, I had a great, he was in great shape. I was voted most likely to succeed. And that was a badge of honor that I wore throughout, you know, my senior year and going into college. Like, my classmates valued me deeper than all of this. They knew that I had that thing, and I tried to share it.
0: Yeah. So, well, and it could have been maybe a little bit of what you just said, but you said a little bit, a little while ago that when you said you were going to go do music, you had some, some arguments with your parents and with, and other teachers and teachers were trying to tell you to do other stuff. So what do you think gave you the the strength to be like, no, like I'm going to do this music thing. What do you think gave you the confidence to be able to do that outside of maybe being voted most likely to succeed in high school? I
1: was kind of confident back in the day, you know? Yeah.
0: Um, Do you think it was a little ignorance at the same time, or do you think you truly like was was confidence? It
1: was confidence, man. You know, um, I started my first couple of companies when I was in in high school. I washed cars, detailed cars. Um, I, you know, saw my father as an entrepreneur who made it, you know, out of the hood in East St. Louis, Illinois to be an entrepreneur. My dad spent a lot of time talking to me about what it is to be a leader, a follower, and what I should not do to be uh, a leader, survivor, and a follower, what I shouldn't do to be a follower, how to recognize when I was a survivor, and what I needed to do in order to be a winner. Hmm. And I had that conversation when I was six. So for me, you know, I was the kid that was like, this isn't right, and I'm not going to do something that isn't right and sits right here um and i I argued and you know like i said i had some very classic arguments with my parents about where i was going and what i was going to do and i have some very classic um apologies from my parents as well you know when i got out of school and they were like i'm so glad you didn't listen to me and the issue was i had to explain to them i did listen to you that's the key listen to your parents. Don't watch exactly, you know, what they, you know, tell you to do for per se, watch what they do and listen to it. And then, you know, if you see it and it's doing, they're doing the right thing, that's your life lesson. And I just threw what they, I threw what they did back at them and explained, I absolutely listened to that and I appreciate
0: it. So what, what exactly do you mean when you say you, you did listen to them? but like you did uh, against what they said because they their actions were different than what they said is that what you mean it, it, well it it's it, your, your, their actions could be kind of
1: of what they what they tell you to do don't do this don't do this most parents do that out of fear right mm-hmm. that I, I don't want you to experience the pain that i felt you know being let down by having dreams you know and i'm like well you seem to be doing okay with it i'll be all right you know i've been in the gym it hurts You know, but boy, when I stay in there for four months, I I know how it looks. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm watching you. You know, you you have a nice car. We have a nice house. You're a PhD. Mom has her master's. You all have this company. You know, just trust me on this. Just trust me. Yeah, I'm going to trust that I have my own life to live. And that's one of the things that I saw even from my father coming out of, you know, East St. Louis, Illinois, you know a house of 13 you know brothers uh uh, sisters or siblings um being the only one in college etc etc i was okay with some of the pain and i watched him have difficulties being lonely and i think a lot of it was some well you don't want to be too much of this or too much of that just get what you can they may not let you do this and a lot of it has to deal with like even some of the microaggressions and racial issues that we've seen that have been highlighted lately, but it's like dad thats not what you did. I, you had your PhD at 26, so don't ask me not to have my law degree and MBA at 25, along with two CDs in a can, you know, out and on billboard when I'm there. Yeah. You know, my, it, these are things where. I, Nick, I don't know if you remember, like, when you first realized you were having adult, mature thoughts. I remember, you know, as far back as being like 8, 9, or 10. Wow. And, you know, having discussions with my parents and being allowed to have those discussions. And we, as a society, tend to discount youth. And the fearlessness of youth. Oh, you don't understand. You know, you go out there and do that, you're going to get hurt. What I do is, you know, even when I'm looking at Sebastian or Chase, I'm like, well, what can I learn from an eight-year-old today? What can I learn from a six-year-old? Because I remember when I was. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you have that connectedness to who you are and your individuality, my my reason for being here on this planet is to let young kids, high school students, college students, adults who are like I'm a doctor and I don't want to be one anymore, to say like it's your absolute right to have those feelings. Now go do it. It ain't going to be easy.
0: Yeah. I, I that's awesome. I got I I got to say I love that because I actually feel pretty similar to you going back to kind of your dad and, and how you you talked about how their actions were kind of different than their words of advice to you because my dad he, he never he's never necessarily like discouraged me to do anything, but when I was he's an entrepreneur and, and has had his own business ever since he essentially got out of college. And he I remember when I was in college, he always kind of thought for me and like my brother it'd be it'd be great for us to go work for work for a company and 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 you know, we have make a good living and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I went off pretty quickly doing my own thing and he didn't tell me not to, but he definitely like I, I knew that it wasn't like his first option for me because in the th- the thought I didn't, I had a little bit later after, after kind of realizing, I was like, I know that he, like the, the, sh- how much work he's put in and he, he knows how hard it was for him that he doesn't want the same kind of struggle for me. But, um, I'm like, I'm not going to listen to what you say. I'm going to listen to what you or I'm going to see what you do and, and emulate that. And so I think that was really cool to, I, I really resonated with that.
1: And, and you know Nick, one of the things I think you know um, this is in the book as well is the whole idea that humans are the only mammals that don't want their kids to go through the pain and developmental uh, we'll call it developmental pain to achieve their the same level of success and functionality within life right mm-hmm. We want our kids I, I, I don't want you to fall out of the tree. well, then, how am I going to learn how to fly you know I, I don't want you to go there's a difference between the lion. That's like, don't go too far because I can't get you before the hyenas do. And, and the birds or the humans that are like, well, I don't even want you to go out of the branch. Just stay here. And at a point in time, all animals and mammals in the wild go like this. You got to go. We're the only ones because of the things that make us human that, you know, protect our young in a way that does them a disservice. I mean, it actually makes them non-functional. Because you don't know how to, you know, you haven't faced the, the challenges that help you develop your own critical thought process. You haven't figured out how to move your arms fast enough to stay in the air or where to go and where not to go. And um, I think that that is one of the biggest uh, mistakes, I'll say, or the challenges that humanity has, has, you know, presented with itself is the idea that human beings aren't supposed to learn how to be.
0: Yeah. No, I, I really love that part of the book too. And I think it's, I think right now people and, and parents are being more and more like that. I can't speak from experience because I'm not a parent and, and I can't say that I I would like to think that I'm, you know, go about it to let let my kids fall down, if you will. You know, like I, I, I really liked the part of your book where your mom tol- told you guys like, I'm not your friend. Like I'm your mother and I can't remember the other thing. I'm your, I'm your mother and something else.
1: And we'll talk about it later. (laughs) We'll talk about being a friend later, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Like maybe when you're 30, maybe when you're 30 and you've done this, we'll talk about it then. Um, But I, but I thought that was huge because I know that I've seen a lot of parents do so much for their kids. And then, you know, they get to a certain age and they don't know how to solve problems for themselves. Like the first, the first thing that they go to is asking their parents for something instead of like, googling it or trying to figure it out on their own
1: you know it's very the, the best analogy that i could give is like this uh or types of analogies as a musician or having friends who are doctors right you don't learn how to play piano or to do surgery without doing it right right yet we want to see like let me show you I, if i show you enough love then If I show you the way to do it, then I can protect you from, you know, the pain and suffering of somebody dying on your table because you messed the surgery up. You know, and 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 not giving, you know, I'm not giving you the chance to recap to figure out what went wrong and how to make the surgery better so that you can actually save more lives in the future. What I want you to do is I just want you to watch me. And then here are the tools. And then parents and society's looking up and asking these kids, now adults and and some. You know, older adults. What well, we need, like, why aren't you? Why aren't you able to do these things? Well, you never actually let me try it. You told me okay. what I was supposed to do and go get a job and 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 get an education. You never told me to go out and build something. So, you know, when I look at you know Chase, people used to laugh at me or they were shocked when I when Chase used to fall on the ground. That's my daughter, and everybody else would run. I'm like, stop, Chase. Are you okay? Mm, yeah, Daddy, I'm I'm okay. Okay. Are you sure? Okay, I'm sure. Then they're like, wait, she just got back up and started running. Yeah. Well, if I were had I gone over there and been like, Oh baby, how is your knee? She would have started crying and everything else. So my daughter through that learned resilience. And whenever she used to come crying to me, playing with the boys, and there were times where I wanted to like jack up a couple of the young kids. Right I still told Chase I said, Come here, if you want to play with the boys, boys play rough, you have to play rough. Don't come over here crying, And she's like, Okay, Daddy, you know and gone. you know
0: what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so
1: now when you see Chase, Chase is like bouncing around with super confidence, and everybody's like, Where does she get all this confidence because she had a chance to scrape her knees, get up, dust herself off, and realize, well, if I'm gonna play with the boys, uh, might be a little rough, but I like it. Let's go. You know, that's what we have to do out here. And and I think it's so important, you know, as you're, you know, looking at being the best you, you have to try, man. You have to do.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I'm I'm really glad you brought up that story because that was one of my favorite stories from uh, one of the TED Talks that you gave. And she like also, she slid down a slide head first and got a got a black eye. And, and you know, if you're going to do that, you got to do it, but there's going to be consequences. But uh, I love that. And I didn't, I didn't expect to uh, spend a lot of time here, but I'm, I'm really fascinated on, on this topic. Do you think that, like, parents doing more for their kids is, is – has it gotten worse as of recently, do you think? Or do you think it's something that's kind of always been the case where people – want to protect them so much to where they don't scrape their knee, like, as you said?
1: The answer to that, Nick, I think is it depends. And I, I think yeah. it depends on the circumstances, uh, where you've grown up. I mean, you're looking at these celebrity parents who paid mm-hmm. money and hundreds of thousands of dollars to help their kids get into certain schools. And, like, what are you telling, what are you telling your child when you're like, I don't believe that you have the ability to make it? unless you go to these places. And God, thank God I have the money to pay for you, to pay for somebody else to take this test for you because you couldn't do it on your own. Yeah. I mean, that's not the kind of message that I want my kid to have. I want my kid to know that whether or not, you know, they go to an Ivy League school, a, a, a near Ivy League school, a good school, or a school that I may object to, that they still have the ability to determine the outcome uh, of their life, and but I will say that that where are we where are we taught that? that, I mean I was lucky to be taught that at my home, mixed with you know being Marcus in the way that you know my higher power gave me a certain amount of energy in the way that I see things. I know it's not necessarily normal, but at the same time, like we we have an education system that doesn't teach anything about what we need to learn like critical skills like parenting skills like balancing a checkbook like you know or now even if you have an online account how do you balance your accounts? how do you invest how do you succeed no what we need you to do is go in and let us judge you from the time you're in kindergarten against everybody else and we'll tell you where you are in the world yeah and then you're stuck with that right Well, I didn't read exactly this way. Well, you know, okay, let's talk about why you don't think that way. Hey, there may be a good reason for it if you talk to the kid. You know, why don't you do your math homework? Because it's boring. Can they come up with another way to teach kids math? That's fun. Learning can be, you know, fun. We don't teach that. This is the way we do it. This is the way we've done it. This is the way you should do it. Man. And then you expect... You know, innovation in parenting, innovation in the development of a of a of a society, and it's no wonder when you look at like many of the things that are going on in the news right now. I am scared that there's a devolution of society, like right? it's devolving.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, I definitely agree with the uh, the whole educational system. I think we could have a whole three hour show just on that. But I'm to I'm gonna move, move uh, pivot a little bit to. Um, a story that I really, really liked in, in the book of yours. And to kind of start off with one of the principles you you learned early on is if you don't ask, then the answer is always no. And to, to kind of go along with that, I've found that it's really important in my life and from my own experience and from reading and, and learning and stuff that it's important to communicate your dreams and goals to other people um, because you never know who might be able to support you, who might be able to help you and who might be able to cheer you on. And so kind of with those ideas in mind, I really loved your story about how you got into Georgetown Law, and I think that that was that was really powerful, and it really, you know, slams home that idea that it's important to communicate your your dreams and your goals to other people. So if you could kind of recount that story real quick, and then riff on the importance of it,
1: you know, when I was coming out of Howard, I took um, going back to the taking the LSAT the first time that I took it, I went in with shorts and a short sleeve shirt. To the National Press Club, um, I think it was Press Club or the Marriott. I can't remember which one. It was like sixty-five degrees, and at the end, I was shaking so bad that the guy next to me was like, "Dude, here, take my cardigan." He's like, "You can't be doing well because you're shaking." He's like, "I'm watching you shiver," and so um, I got my scores back. They were all right, you know. I took it again. I blew it out the water and got a full ride to a particular school, and so. You know, as I was uh, approaching that school, uh, you know, we were getting towards the end of the year. I really wanted to go to Columbia, and the school was not Columbia. I was on the waiting list at Columbia, and I wanted to get to New York. Um, I wanted to do, you know, Ivy League and, you know, or, or very good top 15 school. And, you know, I talked to the dean of, of admissions at the, the school where I had gotten, gained admission, and he's like, well, you know, I have connects up there. So right before we were supposed to start school, I was like, well, hey, look, you know, what about, you know, connecting me with your connect at uh, Columbia because I need to start working now for my second year, ready to start first year. And then literally it was silence. On the book, I put like it was crickets. And um, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be stuck here. This guy is not going to help me get into or go to Columbia. Cause I think he also figured out, and you know, it was plain to see, had I gotten to New York, I was going to stay in New York, right? right. And I would have stayed there. And so on the I was on my way to the family reunion with our, our family reunion with my grandparents. And I knew that uh, Georgetown was still interviewing because my friends were interviewing with them through the Clio program. So I left on my way to national airport got to the fourth floor of the Georgetown Law School, got an application off of the desk of one of the people. And um, the night before I left, you know, was like, I filled out the application, had LSDAS, which has all your scores, sent it in, and got on my plane. So I was talking to somebody, one of my neighbors, who's a a world-class fashion designer, um, when I got back. And and I told him what was going on. he's like, well, I know somebody. It was a reverend at Georgetown and a uh, reverend Kemp. So I go and I have a meeting with reverend Kemp um, set up by, you know, one of the Hall brothers. And Kemp is like, your writing is great. Your analysis is great, but I don't think there's a chance in hell. And literally here's a, a, a reverend, you know, a Jesuit telling me like, there's no chance in hell, but, but if you'd like me to try, I can see who I know. And, you know, whatever so little did i know that he had actually baptized the dean um her kids uh of, of the law school so i get a call a little bit later from the dean you know dean elizabeth patterson and she's like well i don't think there's a chance in hell it's late we're in like this time it's like june july but would you like me to try and i'm like uh yeah so, you know, we go a little bit further and then I get a call from the dean of admissions and he's like, look, man, you know, I got this thing on my desk and, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what are you trying to do, et cetera, et cetera. So said the same thing. And a day later, he calls back and I, he's like, I have one more question for you. He's like, I'd like to know if you'd like to be in the entering class of 1993 at the Georgetown Lawson. And of course, I'm like, hell yeah. But can you imagine like my friend? I lost friends over that because they thought I was on my way to this particular law school. And the day of orientation, I showed up to let them know that I would be going to Georgetown. And it was basically like middle finger, like, you didn't live up to your word. And I was not going to be restricted by your word. And, you know, even my mom and my dad, you know, everybody was like, Georgetown law, man, son, are you sure? I was like, I had the grades. I had the, the pedigree, you know, I was student council president two years in a row, policy board chairman, all this other stuff. I had work experience. And I was like, man, I'm going to bet on me. And all it took was for me to drive to the, the law school, go upstairs, get an application, fill it out, put it in the mail and talk to a couple of people. And people are like, no, it took much more than that. When you really break it down, all it took was faith in myself and faith in the fact that what will be will be but if i don't ask the question the answers always no. had i not filled out that application my life would be totally different yeah had i not gone and said screw you i'm going to uh, how dare you lie to me watch this had i not had that confidence arrogance whatever you want to call it where would i be you know yeah. and again not that i wouldn't have been successful going to this other place but I will tell you that from my first internship on working with the general council of universal uh, music and film, you know, who was a Georgetown law grad, it had some cachet. Even to this day, I'm working on a big deal. Um, and the head of uh, head of total wine, their merchandising vice president is a Georgetown grad. And is walking me through a national launch of our relaunch of our brand through total wine and more. You have to ask the question.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, I, and I'm glad that you kind of iterated that it all came down to having faith in yourself and having confidence in yourself. Because I think a lot of times, like I prepped it, I, I prefaced the question with saying how important it is to communicate your dreams, communicate your goals to others. And a lot of times people don't communicate their dreams or their goals because they don't have the faith in themselves that they have the actual ability to accomplish that. And that holds them back to, to actually saying it because they're fearful that if i say it then like i might actually not be able to achieve it.
1: Yeah, but i will tell you that the absolute op- antithesis is true too. You absolutely won't be able to achieve it if you don't try it. You right. You know what i mean? And and i say life and business is much like, you know, dating. I mean, if you don't ask the person out for a date, 9 times out of 10, they're not asking you, especially like if you're at a club or you see those commercials where somebody's on a train and they see like the the this beautiful person and they're like oh my god you know and next thing you know they go through the the 30 seconds of the commercial and then they're married at the end right had you not gotten off the train you know you would and, and asked that person out or just said hey look can we be in contact the answer would have been no and so my thing is life is short enough this isn't a dress rehearsal so why not make it fun man why not why not you that, that's the question my dad always taught me about everything in, in, in life. Why not you? Why not think that you are the only one that had this idea? Society tells you no because they want you to stay in a, a you know, the same powers that be if there's such a thing, they want you to stay in a certain mindset so you don't compete with them. If I can keep you in a shell, I can at least conserve what I have. And that's really what conservatism is. Let me stay where I am, conserve the, exist, you know, the, the existence of what I have. Now, when you think with limitless possibilities, even beyond or more dynamically than progressives, then it's like, well, what can't I do? How big can this be? You know, what about me? How can I smile at me? And I say this in the book and in the TED Talks too, it's like, if you're not the first person winking at yourself, every morning you're not yeah. living the best you right
0: hey yeah no i agree couldn't agree more couldn't agree more well i kind of want to uh transition a little bit into kind of your entrepreneurial career because i think there's a lot of awesome lessons from that and you know you started a, a record label group uh with the first african-american billionaire bob bob johnson or he was invested in and, and helped fund it but then there was this kind of pivotal moment where you had to go in and tell the, your, your employees, people that were working with you that you could only, do, could only pay them for one more payroll. And I know that was kind of like a huge, a huge moment for you. And so I kind of, again, want you to rehash a little bit, like catch people up a little bit of, about what that all was and, and about that story. And then like, really, like how did you kind of rebound from there?
1: Yeah, man, that was hard. I mean, you know, we came to the marketplace with a lot of fanfare um you know the fact that i was you know i was excited i was a 30 year old that actually you know was able to put together my first multi million dollar deal with bob he was a mentor and you know someone who i looked up to well before i actually got a chance to meet him so you know we created this uh, record label and this uh recording studio And we were by all means successful. And then we had, you know, these, um, you know, this disruption in the system. And the disruption was a matter of mp3.com and peer-to-peer services. And then um, we had, you know, iTunes come in and you saw your revenue go from, you know, six figures a month to to five figures a month to four figures a month. And it got to a point where I had to have this conversation, and you know, I'll never forget that day of riding back and forth, um, you know, um, up and down Georgia Avenue. And I was about to come in, and I was talking to my COO on the phone, and I was like, "Okay, I'm ready." And then I would hang up the phone, and I'm like, "I'm not ready, (laughs) right?" So Georgia Avenue would be like going back and forth on Broadway you know, for, you know, 10 minutes this way and then 10 minutes back, you know, Nashville. And so uh, I finally got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm coming in and we had the sit down. And I told the staff what I would be able to do and actually helped as many of them as I could to find other positions. And, you know, I knew it wasn't necessarily the end of the brand, which was Three Keys Music, but I i knew that you know i knew that i needed a break i knew that i needed to figure out what i was going to do going forward and i knew that i had the ability to do so and you know out of that we came up with the flow brand um and you know continued on with flow music and you know from there going into flow wine and now it's just the whole flow brand um the book, you know, who knows what's going to, you know, come next. Uh, We have our flow, love and jazz experiences. You know, we do a lot of stuff with Sheila Johnson, ironically enough, Bob's ex-wife, who's also, you know, a billionaire now. And so, but, but the hard part about it was, you know, it is painful when you have to walk away from something that is your dream that you were able to build. Some of the the most painful stuff, though, for me, and I don't think this is actually in the book, but I talk more about it in some of the talks, is the fact that a lot of that happened because I didn't listen to myself. Mm. And I got to a point where I started making decisions as a CEO and not as Marcus. And Marcus, through his experience, understood that I should have let my entire team go, except for one person and rehire everybody. But And talking with Bob and talking with his liaison, they were like, well, we think you're making a rash decision, et cetera, et cetera. As the majority owner of the company and the CEO, I should have been like, I hear what you're saying, but watch my work. Trust me. You trusted me to invest in this. Trust me. My team is not the right team right now. And I didn't listen. And so I ended up in a scenario where you know it was having to let these people go, but learning the lesson to trust in your gut don't become your position, don't become what society says you are, always understand that your gut got you there, listen to it all the way through. Mm. And you can, you know, it it will guide you through properly.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I I like that. That takeaway that you were acting as the CEO, not as Marcus, necessarily. What do you think? Like you kind of you touched on how When you let everybody go, you didn't feel like it was the end of the the entire brand, but you felt like there was was some kind of thing moving forward, but you needed a little bit of space to kind of realize what that was. So what kind of helped give you clarity after you let everybody go as to like, what's the next move?
1: It took a little while. I mean, you know, you're talking about 2004 until about 2007. And I kind of just, you know, I drifted a little bit because... DC's a small town and I was a big guy in a small town. So I'm walking around and know that people know that there's no more three keys music. Um, you know, we were sponsoring things. We were doing camp, we were doing a lot of the right things. And I had to get over the anxiety. I mean, you know, waking up in the middle of the morning, having a house, you know, having a very nice, you know, condo, penthouse condo, uh, downtown of DC and like, oh my God, am I gonna be able to to sustain this, what am I gonna do? Oh my god. Um, and working through some therapy to get some you know perspective, getting some self-help books, and my friends. And everybody sat me down and said, dude, look, you're one of the smartest, if not the smartest person I know. And take your time. And I did. And then you know, one day I'm sitting in the studio. And, uh, you know, looking out of the window one evening, and came up with the Flow Brand. And it was uh, out of the For the Love. Uh, well, actually, uh, For Lovers Only, that's what we started off with, a, a compilation CD we had. And I was like, that's not scalable. And I was like, well, what would we, oh, for the love, of? we can scale that. Kicked it around with a couple of people in the office. And within three months, we had the, the first three CDs out with lifestyle, music, flow standards, flow romance, and flow chill. And um, that is what kept us going and in the visibility. The other thing that we did that was, um, that helped me to keep going was our newsletter. I realized that I had a brand and I realized that people only know what you tell them because they're so busy living their own life. I mean, right. there's a there, If there's a lesson in it, it is all of the anxiety that we had. If we could just imagine that nobody really cared because they're going through so much of their own stuff, they don't have time to care. How would you feel if you knew that for for sure? And I'm here to tell you for sure, most of everybody, like 99% of all the people in your life are going through so much of their own stuff that they don't have time to judge you man this is in your head and if you can let that go and then dictate your story and take control of it and our three keys newsletter helped us to do that and we you know kept it going on the weekly and then i started gigging a little more then i made a deal to get on the air at 105.9 the smooth jazz station here and we just continued to grow and you know got into the flow
0: i gotta tell you i think that's um such an important lesson, and I remember hearing it on a podcast with Bar- uh, from Barbara Corcoran uh, a couple years ago. You know, Shark Tank, Barbara Corcoran, and and she and the person asked her like, "How are you okay with like failing in the public eye or something like that?" And she was like, "I realize at the end of the day, nobody like nobody cares or nobody cares like they might see it, but then like the next day they forget about it because they're so caught up in their own thing, and it doesn't really matter." And and to me. That was a, a huge realization then for me. And then I think I just need always need that constant reminder that like, look, don't be so caught up in yourself that you think everybody's watching you all the time. Like they're caught up in their own stuff. They're worried about their own stuff. And you kind of talk about that principle when people are in the gym. So many people are self-conscious when they go into the gym because they think, oh, everybody's going to watch me. I don't know what I'm doing. Like I don't look as good as they do. But it's like 99.9% of the people are so worried about getting their workout done and how they look and they're not concerned about you. Shit, most of them, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. You're good. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> you're good.
1: Most of, them, most of them are trying to catch their next breath. Yeah. You go in the gym, you see somebody, uh, they're looking at me. No, dude, they are trying to breathe. That is them <laughs> trying to exist. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's the same thing in business and in life. And, you know, there's that saying that those that matter don't judge and those that judge don't matter. Yeah. And it is if we can just internalize this and then let's go back to our education thing, uh, our discussion. Imagine if we taught six year olds. That those that judge don't matter and those that matter don't judge Mm -hmm. and how they then can create a critical thought process so that they uh, create an environment around themselves of people that matter to them and people to whom they matter. And those are the people that don't judge them, that may give you contru- constructive criticism, but also give you the way out of it so that you can continue to grow. If we did that, a lot of the things we're seeing in the news, they're, they're, it would be different. You know, There may not be a whole bunch of who's killing who, but man, imagine that world, and then imagine the level of anxiety that you just get to go like this to. It like, yeah. don't matter, if you're judging me, Like this, it don't matter to me, Yeah, you know? And then teaching kids also that constructive criticism. And I had friends that were like, you messed that up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay, and here's how we're going to help you. Or my sister, man, my sister, my older sister has saved my behind two or three times. And it has been like, because I know how important your success is to the world. I will support you in every way that I can. Mm. And she has helped me by hiring publicists. She has helped me you know, build you know, my brand. She was one of the first, she was the first person who invested in my first CD. And she's a physician, you know, big time, pharmaceutical, you know, executive, et cetera, et cetera. But I had somebody that didn't judge me. Yeah. What was constructively critical uh, you messed that up. All right, Mark. And now we're, she's like, you're, like, Mark, you, you are brilliant. I don't know anybody in marketing that's more brilliant than you are. Even with the people that I work with in this top, you know, Fortune 50 company, she's like, this is great. And I'm like, Lee, but I couldn't have gotten here without, like, support from people like you. Imagine that community. And being the best you, you know, is, is the idea of having people that are invested in your best you, that are working on their best thems, their yeah. best yous. Man, when you start putting that together, you have the positive loop cycle, not a vicious cycle. And that positive loop is something that's missing. It's not perfect. I'm not talking about utopia, you know, because it's still hard. You still have to work. You still have to flap your wings. But man, if we gave them that tool.
0: Mm, I know. I love it. I love it. I think that's definitely one of the most important things you can teach anybody at at any age and just that. that idea needs to be repeated over and over and over again we can't I don't think we can hear it enough um, before I get towards the end I, we mentioned a little bit of the gym thing and, and I know fitness and, and health is, is part of your story as well from from your book and I know that you went through a period of uh, of losing 20 pounds and' I'm a, I'm a fitness I do fitness goal setting coaching with with people so to kind of uh, talk about that that side of things with me what were a couple of the biggest things in, in your weight loss journey if you will what were the couple of the most important things? that you had to do in order to achieve that goal
1: do it every day i mean honestly it is it is god I, so i did it with p90x right right and it's really funny because now i'm in day 20 of 80 day obsession with uh, autumn calabrese and i'm watching it happen again and i i've created this life model which is called deeper and it's the acronym dream engage environment plan execute reflect have your own dream, be engaged in it. We'll get back to that. Have a great environment, put it in a written plan because like, you know, anything else, you know, when your next uh, notification goes off, you'll forget about it. Execute upon it and then rest, reflect, et cetera. That engagement thing, man, being disciplined and doing it every day, showing up, like your best you, if you look at Ruiz and the four agreements, your best you is different every day that you get up. So if you had a night last night with Patron and your friends, your best today is not gonna be like it was yesterday when you basically hadn't had a drink, you know, or anything like that for you know, weeks. Or if you got good sleep, you know, the preceding few weeks and had a bad night, you know, last night, your best you day is, is gonna be, you know, different. But you still get up and you work out anyway. You work yeah. out through the pain. And so that is something that I learned. You know, I knew, but watching it happen. The other thing is, you know, working out is much like you know growing a, a vegetable. In that, when you plant a seed or a tree, when you plant a seed, you don't see it for a little bit. Right. But boy, when the weed starts growing, it's like wow. But man, just hold on and have faith that the process works. Mm-hmm. If you if you have the dream of how you're supposed to look. You're engaged in it. You get up every day, give your best to yourself, right? You have an environment, you know, where you can work out, people are like, yo, do your thing. Um, and and you put it in that 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 written plan. Now that's what I also liked about P90X and the Beach Body stuff, or any, you know, physical trainer that's giving you an outline where you say, Here's where I am today. Here's where I want to be. Oops, I had to take a break, here's where I was, kind of thing. It helps. You get there and it's a written plan. Here are our goals and objectives. And then you go out and you do it, right? So you're working out, you're doing your thing. The reflection phase is this hurts, stop it. Your knee hurts, stop it, right? Or, dang, this feels good. Maybe you need to lift a little bit more weight or maybe it's just something that you love to do. So when you put it into the deeper paradigm, I basically got my life model You know, out of doing a workout plan with P90X and the whole idea that anybody with a passion who is engaged in it and and has it written down, you can do anything that you want to do, anything that you want to do. And so, you know, that's what I take with me as it relates to workouts, physical, and God, you feel better. Now, again, the first three weeks, it's like, oh, my God, I'm so sore. Yeah, Man, I'm going into the fourth week. Right. And you know this, that fourth week, you're like, I'm sore, but it's different. Yeah. And, and then, you know, me, I'm always about the imagine me once you reflect on it. Imagine if we taught our kids that, that, you know, you're going to be sore, you're not going to see it right away. My mom's favorite phrase in the book, I say is delay your gratification, son. Understand you'll get it, but it takes time. Nick. These are things where I could sit back and while everybody else was like, "I got to go to the party," I always knew that there would be a party next Friday. You know, I always yeah. knew that there would be another record deal on the table. I always right. knew that there would be another, you know, uh, a house that you could buy, another business deal that you could do, you know, other friends that you would meet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If we can teach that within a life paradigm, you could have a three. You know, letter acronym. You could have a five, a ten, seven habits of highly effective people. Whatever you want to do, just have your passion, and when you put it into, pour it into a life model. You'll start to see, like me now, I'm losing weight again. You know, I'm stronger than than I have. I looked at myself after my haircut today, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: "That's awesome." That's awesome. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. I love that deeper model. I think that is. That's so important and, and so applicable. And to, to, to touch on it real quick, I loved, I read the delayed gratification thing this morning and it was actually really timely for me. I had, I literally made a, like an Instagram post on Sunday, I think, that said, if you can fall in love with delayed gratification, it's going to be a huge separator in our Insta gratification world. And I think it's just, um, I think the delayed gratification thing is, is, is so huge. And I, I know we could talk a lot about it, but I want to get here, uh, the last couple questions in. Um, and the last one, the second to last one is a question that I found really beneficial for myself because I think that in order to get closer to the best, best version of yourself, that it's really important to try to gain clarity as to what you think the best version of yourself looks like and what you think the best version of yourself is capable of. And then my goal every single day is to try to reverse engineer that person into reality. And so a question that I found really beneficial for myself is what I'm getting ready to ask you and, that, and that's, is there a particular skill or piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has? that you don't currently have?
1: Oh, I I mean, God, absolutely. I mean, I care. I can sit here and tell you that you shouldn't care, you know, about what people think. Man, I wish I, the best version of me would be like, screw you, man. (laughs) Screw you all, you know what I mean? I'm good, I'm good with me. You know, the best version of me would, learn, would, would rest more. Even though I talk about it in my paradigm, it would rest more. It would spend more time with, you know, people, places and things that I love, not trying to be in that work model, work model, work model, work model. Like, my goal is to be able to be like, no. Marcus, do you want, no, 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 no. I'm on, I'm on vacation. Absolutely not. Well, we need, no, I don't need it. I have the money. I have the this. I have the that. Even if I don't, I can say no, and I'm not there yet. And the other best version of me would be a lot more gentle with me. Mm. And, you know, I read something somewhere where it said, you know, love yourself, like, treat yourself as you would someone else that you loved. And we all know what it feels like to love somebody with butterflies. i God, I love you. But it's very hard for you to internalize that for yourself. And to be like, I'm going to make these decisions for me. And that is not me being selfish. It is me being self-centered. But by me being self-centered, I'm able to do these other things for you because you don't want me doing them out of anger. You don't want me doing them out of spite. You don't want me doing them out of, you know, resentment and the like. You want me doing it because, damn, Marcus Johnson loves some Marcus Johnson in the right way. Like, you can't just come to him and expect him to do, you know, whatever you want him to do. No. That's you. That's them respecting the fact that you respect yourself, man. And I think the best version of me does a much better job of just being like, "Yeah, nah, nope, I'm good."
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I've I've heard that so many times in terms of the you, what you started with, uh, not caring what others think, but then also being able to like not <clears throat> say yes to every every single thing and, and be okay with uh, you know doing the things that you feel are most important to you at the time. Um, well, before I ask the last question, Marcus, uh, I want to acknowledge you for being able to have the the strength and confidence and the courage when you were young to be able to watch what your parents actions were and not necessarily listen to the advice that they they said to you i think that's really admirable and then, and the other thing that we we talked a lot of, a little bit what that i want to acknowledge you for is your ability to be able to like allow your daughter to fall down to scrape her knee and not immediately run over and say oh my god are you okay are you okay are you okay but be like get back up and and keep going. I think that's, you know, I think it's probably one of those things that are we're going to see less and less of. But it, it's going to of, but to it, it's going to continue to be more and more important. Well,
1: I think you know, for for me and for me to you, I thank you for having the platform where we can actually open the dialogue for those of us who are listening to you to be able to say, yeah, I know I need to do that, and then that's how it starts. And you know the message to everybody out there is it does start with you. It does start every day in the mirror with you looking at yourself and, and if you know that and, and these are the things that you want, and you know we 're not victims of society unless we allow ourselves to be victims of society. Right. You can go to the PTA meeting and say, Mm-mm, these are the books that we need. You can run for PTA president or school board chairman or whatever." You can run for public office or send letters and create groups to, you know, make sure that we hold our public servants uh, uh, accountable for the things that they do. We're not victims, but we're taught that we are. So for me to you, thank you so much for having a platform to be able to have an open discussion to let those of us that think like us know that we're not alone, nor are we aliens.
0: Well, of course. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I know everybody's going to want to go, uh, we touched on a decent amount of the book, but I know you guys are want to go and, and read the entire thing. Like I said, I finished it this morning. Awesome book. It's going to get you fired up and motivated. Uh, so make sure you get For the Love Of, uh, and you can go follow Marcus at MarcusJohnson360 on, on Instagram, and you can go to his website, www.MarcusJohnson360.com. Go get that book anywhere you can find it, Amazon. Um, is obviously the easiest way to do it probably nowadays. But anywhere you, anywhere you find your bucks. Well, Marcus, last question is, I think getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey. And I also think it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to that best Marcus Johnson that you could possibly be, what are those three things that you could currently do or work on?
1: Number, Number one, man, is get more rest. Um, I think rest is the most uh, undervalued commodity or phenomenon in life. I think that I am better when I take time out uh, and take, you know, self-care. It could be, you know, getting a massage. It could be, which I haven't done since COVID. You know what I mean? Those kind of things. But literally rest is is very important for me getting to the, the next level of me because if I'm not there mentally or physically, that doesn't work. The other thing is to take my advice on structuring my days a little bit better. I'm doing mm-hmm. better in the last week or so, but using the most important um, spreadsheet that I will ever have, which is my calendar. Yeah. And it is because it is the P&L, the profit and loss statement of the most important, valuable, you know, uh, resource that you have, which is your time. Right. Um, and putting it down and saying, matching where my goals and values with the time and where I spend it, I think that that would be, um, you know, number two. And as you know, I look at the the third part. It it really is a combination of figuring out the way that I can seed more into the next generation and into mm. society. And, you know, whether it's with the music or whether it's working with people like yourself, organizing to be that beacon of light to which these, these folk can look to say, like, this is how you do it. Um, and I only have 24 hours in the day like everybody else. But if it is, you know, running for office, um, it is really making sure that I, I, I get to that point to let people know running for office doesn't mean you're perfect. You know, running for office doesn't mean that uh, you have all the answers. It just means you're a servant that says, "Hey, look, I'm going to take this weight and carry it." Um, it could, like I said, it could be in community uh, community organizations that you may be with. It may be with your friends, but to really find more of the organizations and people deliberately, that will help me change the world in our little way. Right. And I said that really, like, help me change the world in our life. Yeah. That that is, uh, that would be the third.
0: I love it. Well, those are three powerful things. I
1: appreciate it, Marcus. That's all we got today. All right, man. Look, thank you so much, Nick. Keep doing your thing and always be the best you, brother.
0: (laughs) Yes, sir. Right back at you. There you have it. Such an awesome episode with Marcus. Be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member who you think would get a lot out of it and be inspired by it. Share it with a friend or family member who is struggling to find out what their passion is. Maybe send it to someone who needs to be motivated this Monday morning and would benefit from the inspiring words that Marcus shared. All you got to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast to get the audio, YouTube video, and all the show notes. Remember, those who judge don't matter, and those who matter don't judge. Again, those who judge you don't matter, and those who matter don't judge. I loved it when he brought that up and loved how he stressed the importance of needing to teach children that at such a young age because it's something that I know I need to constantly remind myself of on a daily basis and I know you feel the same way. I don't think any of us can really hear that too much. So if you're anything like Marcus, get more rest, structure your day a little bit better, and seed more into the next generation because those are the things that are going to get you closer and closer to your best you.